Uh, for those of you that I haven't met yet, my name is John Talley, and I'm the church planner or organizing pastor. There's a lot of different titles for that here for what we're doing at Christ Church Milwaukee, but we're glad that you're with us. Um, our hope and our prayer as a new church here in Milwaukee, as our uh, little banner says up here, <clears throat> we want to bring glory to Christ, to his church. We want to bring good to this city, the city that God's called us to be in. And so um, if you're visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. If you're looking for a church home, we want this to be a place where you can uh, get on board with that and follow along with that. I'd love to talk to you more about that uh, and our mission and our hope for Milwaukee. Uh, This season of Advent, we've been going through uh, a little bit untraditional verses from the New Testament to talk about the coming of Christ into the world. We're looking at sections from John's Gospel. Right, the Gospel of John, which actually at the beginning of John's Gospel, there's no birth narrative recorded for us. So it may be a little odd on some level that we're looking at John's Gospel to talk about Advent or Christmas. But the reason we're in John's Gospel is because there are multiple places in that Gospel where Jesus gives explicit statements about why he has come to earth. His reason for coming to earth. And this morning we're looking at a passage where he again gives us a very clear descriptions and reasons for why he has come and the meaning and the purpose for his coming to this earth. So that's what we're doing uh, during this time of Advent. We'll look at one more passage next Sunday on the 27th, wait, is that right? 20th, excuse me, on the 20th, it will be our last Sunday of Advent uh, from John's Gospel, and that will conclude our time of Advent. But this morning we're looking at uh, John chapter 12, and it's a short section at the end of chapter 12 that begins in verse 44. And concludes in verse 50. So give attention to God's word for us as we read this. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words... And does not keep them. I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world. But to save the world. The one who rejects me. And does not receive my words. Has a judge. The word that I have spoken. Will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority. But the father who sent me. Has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. Heavenly Father, would you bless the reading and the proclaiming of your word this morning? We thank you that you are with us now and that you hear us not because we're good, not because we've earned it, not because we've done enough good stuff to gain an audience with you, but you hear us because of Christ. And he pleads on our behalf as our great mediator. And we thank you for that. So we pray that this time now would be encouraging to us, challenging to us, and ultimately glorifying to you as our God and King. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, In my household, uh, I have somehow, I guess out of habit, I'm not really sure how it happened or how it started, but I've I've now uh, received the title of the one responsible for waking up kids in the morning. And um, I I kind of have a strange feeling about that. I I don't know that I like starting the day as the bad guy. 
Um, but that's kind of what happens, right? If you, even if you don't have your own kids, you know what it's like to be woken up with a bright light. And I try not to do that. I usually try to go in gently with the, with the lamp in the corner or something like that so that it maybe be a little more subtle so that I don't start off as the, the hated dad casting this huge bright light uh, on our children when they wake up. At, at Advent, at the first Christmas, God comes to us in a similar way. He, he stands in the corner of the room of the world, as it were, And he lights a small, soft candle and he says, this is it. This is the beginning. This is when a new awakening happens. And it's exciting to talk about that because Jesus here in this passage is talking to us about how he is that light. How he is the light who has come into the world to cast out darkness. We're going to look at this morning at what does it mean to say that Jesus has come into the world as light. To save the world. Right? This is an interesting passage here um, for a number of reasons. One is that, as I mentioned a minute ago, it's the beginning, or rather it's, it's a place where Jesus in John's Gospel describes for us clearly why He has come. Why He has come to earth. Why He was born of Mary, born of a virgin. Why He came to live a perfect life, to suffer and die on the cross for our behalf. This is why He has come. But it's also interesting because this is the very end of Jesus' public ministry. Right? This is the very end of what he is going to say to the masses out loud and publicly for all to hear. So it's very fitting then for us to pay attention closely to what Jesus has to say. I mean, think about that. This is the last thing he's going to say to the masses. From here on out in John's Gospel, from chapters 13 to 17, it's Jesus speaking to 12 men, the 12 disciples. From 18 on after that, it's the record of his trial, of his execution, of his death and resurrection. So, so this is it. So what does he have to say to the masses? What does he have to say to us? Here's what I hope we'll take away from what Jesus says to us this morning is that being sent by the Father, Jesus has come into the world as light to save the world from darkness. There's two ideas I want to spend some time on this morning uh, together as we look at this passage. I want to talk about the coming of Jesus and what's involved with that as he describes it. And then we'll spend the last part of our time this morning looking at what we could just simply call the choice, uh, the choice that is laid before us. So I want to look and spend the majority of our time this morning looking at this coming of Jesus and what he has to say about that. If we look back at verses 44 and 45, again in verse 49, we see very clearly that Jesus wants us to know that he has been sent by the Father. Right, Jesus has been sent by the Father. And if you were to go back and look all throughout John's Gospel, this is actually a very common and very popular uh, phrase that Jesus uses about His coming to earth. He's been sent by the Father. John 3, 17. John 5, 24 and 30. John 6, 28. John 13, 20. John 20, 21. That's not even all of them. Multiple places Jesus references being sent by the Father. Now, without going into too much theological detail, we talked a bit about this last week, if you were with us. We talked about how in eternity past, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made this this pact, as it were, a covenant among themselves for how to work out this plan of redemption for humanity. And we said, and we determined that, that Jesus had said, I will go and I will enact this plan. The Father has designed the plan. Jesus, the Son, will enact it. The Spirit will apply it. And so Jesus then, as he comes to earth, takes on this role that has a form and a look of subservience or 
um, submission to the Father. And it is that to be sure, but again, without getting into too much theological detail here, we want to be careful to say that he's not placing himself under the Father in an eternal sense, what theologians call ontological. It's a big term for us this morning. But in a sense to show that he is listening to the Father, he is giving himself over to what God the Father has said during his earthly ministry. So he can say, the Father has sent me out. The question is, what does that mean, though? What does it mean when Jesus says, I've been sent by the Father? There's a lot of ways we can go with this, but it simply means that Jesus is the ambassador of the Father. He has come on the Father's behalf, on God the Father's behalf, to display and to show what the Father is like. He wants us to know with certainty what God is like. He says very clearly, right? By believing in Jesus, you believe in the Father. By seeing Jesus, you have seen the Father. In John 14, just a couple chapters over, he's going to say that to Philip, right? Philip is going to ask, Jesus, show us the Father, and that's enough. And he's kind of going to shaking his head and going, oh, Philip, don't you know? Don't you know? Have you not been with me long enough to know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know what he's like. Uh, One commentator described Jesus this way. He is the window through which we look to see the Father. He's been sent by the Father to show and display the Father. He has come also, though, as light. He's been sent by the Father as light, coming into the world as light. Again, another popular idea in John's Gospel that Jesus is light. He is the light of the world. John begins his Gospel in chapter 1 by giving this great description of this. He is light come into the world. Right? If you want to see what God is like, you need to see Him through the light that Jesus gives. You cannot know God without knowing Jesus. You cannot see God without seeing Jesus. He is the light that shines on the Father, that displays Him in all glory. Think of it in these terms. Here's an illustration I think will hopefully shed some light on this for us. Uh, If you're a lover of art, imagine maybe if you've never been able to visit some of your favorite pieces of art, there's a sense in which you're missing things, right? You may have only been able to read about it or see a picture of it or look at it online, but if you haven't been able to go actually see it, there's a disconnect between you and that piece of art. And now imagine for a moment that actually you're able to take a trip to go and visit these wonderful pieces of art that you love. Maybe it's at the Museum of Modern Art, at the Louvre, or wherever it may be. You want to go see these amazing pieces of art that you have heard about and, and read about and studied and come to love in some capacity. But when you get there to that museum, you actually meet the curator of the museum. And, and they're there to greet you and then to take you on a personal tour throughout this museum of these amazing, spectacular pieces of art that you have only seen in pictures. And throughout the rest of your time there, this curator begins to describe and unpack and illuminate the beauty of these pieces of art in ways that you have never encountered or experienced before. That is what Jesus is doing for the Father. And unless you know Jesus, what you think you know about God is only a separate, distant, cold thing. You may know facts, but you don't know Him unless you know Jesus. Uh, The German filmmaker Werner Herzog has this great line where he says, facts create norms, but they do not create illumination. You may know facts about God, but unless you have Christ, you do not have illumination to who He really is. 
Jesus brings that to us as light coming into the world. Unless you have Christ, God will remain in the dark to you and you will remain in the dark to Him. But Jesus goes on to say this as well. He has been sent by the Father as light, but He's been sent by the Father as light to save the world. Again, very clear, nondescript language here. He's saying without pulling punches in any way, I have come to save the world. I hope that at Christmas time we don't lose sight of that. That Jesus has come for the purpose of saving the world. And don't miss this as well, that Jesus is clear to also say to His audience there and to us, He has not come as a judge. It's telling for us to hear what He has to say about that. And actually, in fact, in John's Gospel, in multiple other places as well, John three seventeen. John 8, 15, Jesus makes reference to the fact that He has not come to condemn or judge the world. He has come to save the world. Now to be clear, we need to understand that there there will be a time of judgment. We're going to actually talk about that in just a moment. Jesus does not shy away from that. To say that there is a judgment, it is a reality. But that is not my purpose now in coming. My purpose now in coming is salvation. Is deliverance. To save the world. To redeem the world. What do we do with this today? As we begin to unpack this idea of Jesus coming into the world, sent by the Father as light to save the world, how do we apply this to our own lives? There's a couple things I think that are worth looking at in further detail. The first is a challenge for us, I would say. Can we as Christians, as followers of Jesus... Can we begin to imitate Him in how He brings salvation to the world and not so much judgment at this moment? As we think about sharing our faith and sharing Christ with the world, do we do that to see lost souls saved? Or is our posture one initially of judgment? Is it judgment first and salvation later? Is it the care of those souls being redeemed? First and foremost. And then perhaps judgment. What Christmas teaches us and what Advent teaches us is that salvation, in order to be possible, for that to happen, God has to come near. God has to come near for salvation to be possible. Judgment can take place from afar. And us as Christians, if we want to see our friends and neighbors and family come to faith, we have to draw near to them. It's very easy for us to sit back and make judgments from afar about where someone is in their own life. But if we want to see them changed and redeemed and saved, we have to draw near. That's what the incarnation is, right? Just this past week, I had a great opportunity to talk with a neighbor about this very idea. I was able to present Christ to her in a real, clear way. And I pray the Lord would cause that conversation to take root. But I was able to talk with her and say to her, She's talking about struggles in her own life and the struggles she's had with children and, and, and past relationships. And I was able to say, this is what Christmas is, right? That God comes to us in human form to enter into our suffering. That Christianity is the only religion that teaches that God knows what it's like to become a man. To become a human. To live in our place. To walk in our shoes. And if we are going to care about the souls of those around us, We need to draw near to them, even as God has drawn near to us in the Incarnation. Second thing for us to consider by way of of application, and 
If you've grown up in the church, maybe you would admit this and know this, but I think there are many now more and more, even in the church, who would not fully understand or appreciate this. If you do not know Jesus, you do not know God. If you do not know Jesus, you do not know God. This is a crucial thing for us as Christians to understand. Again, maybe some of you take that for granted, but maybe there's some of you who haven't really thought about that. But this is a crucial idea for us to grasp. John, throughout his gospel, highlights that idea. Throughout his letters, 1st John, 2nd, 3rd John, he highlights that idea. But unless you have the Son, you do not have the Father. If you do not have Christ, you do not have the Father. That's an important thing for us to keep in mind as Christians, particularly in our day and age, with many conversations about our Muslim friends and the religion of Islam, because there are many who would say that this is the same God. And in love, we need to be able to say, no, 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 if you don't have Christ, you do not have our God. Again, not lobbing truth grenades in judgment, but simply saying in love, I want to draw near to you so that you will know the truth of this. Jesus is saying here, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. If you don't have Christ, you don't have the Father. But we need to remember as well, and this is where it may be a tough pill for us to swallow. Jesus has said, I have come to save the world. What does that mean? The world that we live in needs saving. And that means you and I need saving. We need to be redeemed. We need to be changed. We need new lives, new hearts, new souls to be changed. And here's what we need to remember as well, that when Jesus says, I've come to save the world, we're not Gnostics, right? We don't think that Jesus only cares about our soul. He has come to save the entire world, all of creation. In Revelation, when Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new, he really means all things. He doesn't just say, behold, I am making my people new. I'm making their hearts new. The scriptures do teach that for sure, but he says there, I'm making all things new. The world in its fullness, in its full capacity, needs saving. That is why Jesus has come. That's what Christmas is about, right? So that is our, our, our first idea. I hope we've, we could unpack that more, certainly if you have more time. But this idea that Jesus has come, being sent by the Father as light to save the world from darkness. And then we, we end with this, this idea now being presented with that. And this really shines through in verses 47 to 49 of our passage. We're essentially offered from Jesus a choice. Right, look back at our, our passage here in these first few verses and, and look at what Jesus does with the crowds. He calls out to the crowds and to us. He really is calling in many ways <clears throat> for a decision to be made. There's what we could call here an urgent contentment on Jesus' part when he says these words. But I love how John describes this, and I can imagine the scene when Jesus says, he cries out, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. If you're in that crowd... You would have to think on some level, either I want to hear what he has to say next, or he's completely insane. He has an urgency in his voice that is there, it is present, it is real, and he is crying out with urgency 
pleading with people, please hear what I have to say. Give your full undivided attention to what I have to say. I'm raising my voice so that you will hear me. I want you to pay attention. And yet, alongside of that urgency, there there seems to be, I don't know if contentment is the right word, maybe a peace. There, There seems to be a sense in which he's okay if not every single person in that crowd turns at that very moment to him. Again, look, look back at the language that he uses here. If you hear me, but do not keep my words, I won't judge you. Right? It's, it's almost as if he's saying, I, I'm not going to get my feelings hurt by the fact that you may reject me at this moment. There is pleading on behalf of Jesus, but there's not pandering on behalf of Jesus. He is really practicing here what the Apostle Paul describes well for us in 2 Corinthians 4, where Paul writes this about his ministry, and I think this applies to what Jesus is doing here. Paul writes, We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Jesus is content in his urgency to say, Hear what I have to say. But, if you reject this, hear this then. There are other things that will happen. I will not lose sleep in a sense of the fact that there will be you rejecting the word that I say. There's a choice to be made regarding Jesus' words and testimony. That's what He's saying to the crowds here. Don't miss that. He's saying... There's now choice to be made. You can choose to believe and follow the words of Christ today. And in that case, you will be ushered from the kingdom of darkness into the dominion of light. The kingdom of light. The kingdom of God. Jesus the King, right here, will bring you into His own kingdom. Should you accept His words today, that is what will happen. Praise the Lord. But... Should you choose to reject his words, there's a contentment with that as well. But understand this, what we said earlier. Don't think, and Jesus is saying this as well, don't think that that means you'll escape judgment altogether. There will still be judgment. It may not be on this day, but there will still be judgment. And and what will that judgment be? Jesus says, don't miss this. The word that I have spoken to you, that word will judge on the last day. The word that I have said, that word will judge you on the last day. Here's what this means for us as Christians. <clears throat> if you are a Christian here, receive that word. A couple of things. We need to ask ourselves, what difference is that making in my life right now? Are you one who's just simply made a statement uh, at some point in your life, you walked down the aisle, you did something to profess some kind of faith in Jesus, but what does it mean for you right now today? These are the words of life. How is it affecting you? But it also should affect how we think about the gospel, right? We've been trying to talk some about how we share our faith. And Jesus is saying that if those who reject me reject my word, they'll still be judged. Presenting Jesus to people requires love, requires wisdom. How we share our faith matters. 
Do we know and do we realize that when we share our faith, this is one of two things that will happen. There will be rejection or there will be acceptance. People will receive Him as Lord and King or they will reject Him as Lord and King. Here's what I think is important for us to see though too, and maybe this is perhaps one of the most important applications. Jesus is saying here that the choice that is before us The choice that's before you and I is not so much a choice between Jesus and something else. Right? Our world wants to describe that, right? That that either I'm going to choose Jesus or I'm going to choose another life path, uh, another religion, another philosophy, secular humanism, whatever it may be. In a temporal sense, it looks like that. But ultimately what Jesus is saying is this. The choice you have is choose me and acknowledge me as king today Or at some later point, acknowledge me as your king then. Because that's what the scriptures teach. That when Jesus returns, his second advent, that is when all humanity will bow their knee before him and say, you are the rightful king of all heaven and earth. And so ultimately the choice is this. Do we acknowledge that now, today? Or do we acknowledge it at the day of judgment, the last day. Here's what's amazing about Christmas and Advent. When God sent His Son into the world, when Jesus was born into the world, God sent to the world in the form of a helpless babe His terms of peace. This is the peace treaty given to you, rebellious, sinful humanity. These are my terms and conditions for peace. Receive Him as a babe. Receive Him now in this form. Or acknowledge Him later in a form when He comes again in His second advent that is much more powerful and not subtle at all. Not like that little lamp that we light in the room when we wake up our kids. But in a beam of light and glory that will exceed and transcend anything we could ever imagine. And he will come with power and glory, not as a lamb when he came his first time, but as a lion when he comes again. This is hard. It's hard for us to think about this, it's hard for us to hear this. But this is the final call and this is the final plea to say, God. At the birth of your son, you have extended terms of peace. Would we accept those terms of peace? Would we lay aside and lay down our arms in our rebellion? The king has come into the world and he gives us life. And he gives us a condition in which we can live under his rule. His benevolent, kind, loving rule. Or we can wait. And we'll receive what He brings with Him when He comes at His second advent. My prayer for us is that if you're here this morning and you believe that, that it really would shape and change you. That it really wouldn't just be uh, something that you acknowledge as you tip your hat to and then you go about your day, but that you would receive it and really live it out. But also that this as well, if you're here and and you don't know that, that, that you would see Jesus Himself, from His own mouth, the words that the Father has commanded Him to speak, life eternal, this is why I have come, to give it to you. My prayer is that we would walk in that and receive it.
this morning. Let me pray for us.